Hey, this is Britt Vargas, and I am the High School Ministry Associate Director at Calvary Community Church here in Westlake Village, California. And this is our HSM podcast. Thank you so much for checking us out today. I hope this encourages and inspires you. Here's today's message. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Guys, good up for the team that takes time to practice and comes early. It's amazing. It's amazing. We have a great community of people here. And um, if you're meeting me for the first time, my name is Aaron Kajum. I serve as a high school pastor. And if you've been following along with us, we have been walking through our It's Okay Not to Be Okay series. Again, it's called It's Okay Not to Be Okay series. And like you've heard earlier, uh, we are going to be having this week and the next week we'll have a panel. It's going to be an amazing, amazing time. Please send your questions in via DM or on our prayer wall so we can be sure to have those questions answered at our panel next week. Now, tonight we are talking through self-care, not selfish care. Say it with me. Self-care, not selfish care, right? So we're talking about self-care, not selfish care. Now, what comes to mind when people hear self-care, they might think of getting their nails done. Treat yourself. You know what I'm trying to say? Like, go get a massage. Go to Cabo, Mexico. Like, do your thing. Live your truth. But we're not talking about that at all. We're talking about how to live a life of self-care through the eyes of the gospel. See, we want to have a gospel lens in everything we do. And here at uh, Calvary, we are, our, our goal, our plan, our like, s- supreme role is to be able to disciple you to live and love like Jesus. And so everything is lived through a gospel lens. And so I'll start by saying this opening statement. This is the broad brush statement where we're going to be going this evening for a person who takes notes Please do so, steal from your pastor. That's how you're supposed to do it. You're allowed to steal. This is the opening statement. You can write this down for a person who takes notes. Self-care without a Christ-centered goal will not last. Okay? Self-care without a Christ-centered goal will not last. There's nothing wrong with you going to get your nails did. I think that's the proper term. Uh, there's, there's, no, there's no problem with you taking time off from people, taking time off to take a nap. There's no problem with you going to get therapy. There's no problem with you going to see a psychologist or getting medication. There's nothing wrong with that. But the question is, are you having these things centered around the gospel? Is there a Christ-centered goal? And I'll walk you through this. For example, I believe that all of our emotions are actually goal-directed. All these emotions you have inside of you, right? For example, if you have anger, it's because you're having a defense mechanism. You have a right to feel aggressive. Or if it's a a sense of sadness, it's because you need comfort or you need someone to give you reassurance for something that's going on. If you have fear or anxiety, it's because you want to have self-preservation. And so why do we get anxious? Because we can't control situations. And so we have a a, a response to have self-preservation through anxiety. And even joy. Joy is a response of rejoicing because something great has happened. Something good is going on. Right? And so all of our emotions, all these things we work through are because we have goals. They all have goals. They have reasons. They have purpose. Right? So with me today, say, I am emotional. Go for it. One more time. I am emotional. Right? We are emotional people. We have a range of emotions. And I want to give you a verse that comes from John 4.10. This talks of this lady that Jesus meets at the well in Samaria. Now, Jesus says in a few verses before, he says, I must go to Samaria. 
He says he must go. He has to go there. And he goes and meets this lady at the well. And this lady actually is the most like emotionally, like relationally, wrongly charged person ever in the New Testament. I believe so. She has, she's had five husbands and the man she's sleeping with is not even her husband at that point. Now Jesus pulls this, all this stuff out in the moment he meets her at this well. And then he asks her for water. And then her response is like back and forth, weird jesting that goes on. But then he asks her this one question. That's where we pick up in verse 10. He says this in John 4, 10. He goes, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. What's he trying to say? If we truly understood who God was and saw him as God, as fully powerful and able to take care of all of our needs according to his will, in riches and glory, the Bible says according to his will, which means if it's me, you look at me, you're like, look at my shoes. Maybe these are like 10 bucks from a thrift store or whatever, all this stuff. I may be like, be able to give you like 50 bucks, right? Some of you guys are trying to raise money for a mission trip. You're like, Aaron's going to give you how much? 50 bucks. Because it's Aaron, okay, you know, whatever, right? You're like, JD, money bags. That guy's gonna give me $100, $150, easy, right? Katie Creason, easily a grand, easy, easy, right? I, this is according to the person, who the person is. Now, God says, according to his riches and glory, because God is God. He has an overflowing amount of wealth and goodness and grace he wants to pour out on us, but we fail to recognize that he's the one who can fully satisfy all of our needs. In our pursuit of self-care through the gospel, we must recognize that none of these things will truly satisfy. They can help, but you will always have a moving target of a desire to hit. Whether it's a new iPhone, whether it's a new boyfriend, new girlfriend, uh, a new friend group, you guys may not even know this same group of people in about 20 years. And you're going to be dying and tracing all these relations. But guess what, guys? That God has chosen to satisfy us in himself and not in anything else. Uh, our friend C.S. Lewis says this as a quote. He says, we are like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because we cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. We are too easily pleased. What does this mean? That means you are so easily pleased by small things like that that you, are, you can't even imagine or begin to fathom the goodness and the overflowing grace and power that God wants to give you in the weight of your emotions. We're too easily pleased. One day you have someone in your life, it's all good. Next week, they're gone. Deep sadness. Like, it's just up and down, up and down. No, God wants to give us an ever-satisfying unsatisf- ever pleasure in himself. See, as helpful as our emotions are, God did not design them to control us. Rather, we are meant to learn how to control our response to them. Now, note I didn't say control our emotions. I said control our response to our emotions. Because like we said, all these emotions have reason. Anger, it's, it's, it's there. Even God gets angry. We are made literally in the image of God. We have his likeness, his character. There's anger. God gets angry. God has extreme joy. In fact, the Bible says in Psalms uh, that, that, that in his presence there's fullness of joy. At his right hand there are pleasures evermore. Meaning in God's presence alone there is an overflowing space of just joy. Like it's too much. It's a lot. And so God, God we image our God in having joy and having anger and even being able to be hurt. Even God is hurt. His heart is broken. And so like our God, these emotions we have have purpose, have reason, and we're not meant to 
ignore them. No, we are, are, are meant to instead learn how to control our response to them. In the middle of our emotions, what do we do with the response to those moments? Now, there's a, a, a picture that surfaced around Facebook, I forget how many years ago, of these boys in Dutch Boy, Dutch boy Coffee. It's a, a, kind of like a Starbucks kind of a place. And I'll, I'll give you guys homework. You guys can look that up for yourself and figure out what Dutch Boy Coffee is. Praise God. Don't do it on our church Wi-Fi. I will know. All right? So what happens is this. This lady goes up to Dutch, Dutch Boy Coffee window, and she's ordering her coffee, and she begins to cry, just pouring tears. Like, what's going on with this lady? Now, this guy who's in the middle of uh, 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 receiving her order sees her, and he goes, dude, like, what's going on, lady? Now, he could have easily, right, just as easily said, there's another person crying in my, because people do all the time. You guys cry and getting coffee all the time. Oh, my gosh, it's so great, or because it's horrible. But you're going to take it anyway, right? You're going through the driveway, and she begins to cry, and he questions, he asks her, Hey, what's wrong? He takes a moment to pause and to uh, spend time with her and finds out that she's had three family members who had died back to back within the last like two months, which is insane. And so she's feeling the weight of this emotion in the middle of the drive through getting her coffee. And this young man says, can I pray for you? And as he prays for her, two other people who are his coworkers come out and also pray for her as well. What, is, what, is, what does this have to do with our, our, our sermon today? See, the same way this young man realized the weight of his even emotion at that moment because he could say, this is frustrating. That's a frustrating situation. You're just here trying to do coffee. You don't really, like, what do you have to do with this lady who you may never see again? What he does instead is he has empathy, he pauses, he reflects, and reaches out. See, God gave us our tools, our emotions, as a gift and a tool so we're talking about self-care. Our self-care is not only for us. Immediately you're thinking, myself, how do I do this to make myself ready? But what about being able to be ready for other people as well? So he was able to have empathy and to pause and to pray and even sp uh, spontaneously allowed these other people who were not believers to pray with this other lady. And this, this one of the guys who was not a believer said, I don't know what happened in that moment, but I decided that even if she wanted me to plant her a tree to give her an apple, I'd make that happen. I just felt so connected to that woman in that moment. Meaning even this person who's not a believer has a range of emotions, can recognize that, and have empathy like the believer, except the believer has the power of prayer behind them. See, God gives our emotions as a gift and also a tool. Now, this evening we're going to be parking in Philippians 1, sorry, Philippians chapter 3, 1 through 14. So if you have Bibles, please turn there with your iPhones or Androids or green phones or whatever phone you got, uh, Elon Musk phone, just make it happen. We are in Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 14. That's where we are this evening. And it kicks off with uh, verse 1, Paul the Apostle is writing to these people in the church of Philippi from prison. Homie is in prison. Okay, let's just get this straight. Paul is in prison. He's in jail. He's locked up Akon. Like, that's where he is right now, right? There's no escape for him. He's in prison, locked up in chains, right? And he says this, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stay true to the Lord. I love you and long to see you, dear friends, for you are my joy and the crown I receive for my work. Let's pause. What is he saying in these statements? He's saying that you people, I love you. Not only that, you are my joy and my crown. In the Roman Greco world, what happens is they would run races and lift weights. And even today in our Olympics, when someone runs a race, what do you put on their head? A crown. 
He believes, he has confidence that these people are saved so much so that if he goes to heaven, he can say, I can present these people, the church of Philippi, as believers. Like, I can die today and be like, today, you know what, God, I spent time with Caleb. I spent time with him. I know he believes. Here he is. Like, he's presenting these people to God with confidence. And then verse, four, verse 2 through 3, he says this. Now I appeal to Judea and Sintiq. Now, check this out. Imagine you are people in the church of Philippi and you get a letter from Paul. And this letter is not, not read the way we read right now in the book. Like it just comes running on, like, as a note and you're like, oh my gosh, we have a letter from Paul. Everyone gathers and they call you out. Super awkward, right? Super awkward. He calls you out by name. And he goes, Yuri and Sintik, please, because you belong to the Lord, settle your disagreement. Now who are these two women? The church of Philippi was started by two women. In fact, when Paul goes to a place uh, throughout the Bible, he would first go to a synagogue, he would preach the gospel and argue with people about who the God Jesus was and all these things. And if there were at least 12 men in a city, they could be a synagogue. Now in Philippi, there weren't even 12 Jewish men to make a synagogue. So he meets these ladies at the church. And so these are like matriarchs of the church of Philippi. Like the elders, like these are people who have had authority, who have respect in the community. They're believers, they're Christians, they're saved, just like you in this room. And yet they are all flipping out, all tripping up, all wilding out on something. And he addresses them. He goes, please, because you belong to the Lord, settle your disagreements. And I ask you, my true partner, to help these two women, for they worked hard with me in telling others the good news. They worked along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are written in the book of life. Again, it's okay not to be okay. These are Christian ladies who helped the beginning of a church in Philippi and they're having all kinds of issues. Verse 4 says, and this is his beginning of response to them and how they can have self-care in the middle of their emotional trial, in the middle of their disagreement, in the weight of their anxiety with each other, in the weight of their sorrow and disgruntlement with one another. Where, like You've been in relations with people and they're broken and it's super awkward. So in the middle of your awkwardness, in the middle of your brokenness, Paul speaks to you and speaks to these ladies. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice, which makes almost no sense. What is there to be happy about? There are people who are like always constantly happy. Like you're like, what the heck, dude, you're so weird. How does this happen? Like, no, no. He's saying not rejoice in normal things. He goes, no, rejoice in the Lord. There's a, a portion, there's a direction where you're supposed to put, where we're supposed to put our emotions and our joy. He says, rejoice in the Lord. So the first thing for us as we focus on self-care, I'm focusing on ourself, is this. Refocus your heart, not on yourself, but on the Lord. Refocus your heart by rejoicing in the Lord. Refocus your heart by rejoicing first in the Lord. This is verse in Nehemiah, verses 8, uh, 8, 10, which talks about how the joy of the Lord is our strength. But the context of that scripture that these people had just read the Bible and their hearts were broken by their own sin. And so they're deeply sorrowed, deeply broken. And then they, we have this reading of the Bible to them. And in the middle of their, their, their sadness, their, their brokenness, we read this in verses 8 and 9. It says, they read from the book, like how we are doing right now. We could have easily been those people in Jerusalem. And we read from the book, from the law of God, clearly, and they gave sense. Meaning, I'm making sense of these words to you. The same way Nehemiah and, and all these people are, Ezra are to the people of Israel. 
And what happens, they respond to the word. We expect that to happen tonight as well. That the people understood the reading. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra, the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Their hearts are heavy and broken. And what happens next, he says, guys, wait, pause. Hold on, hold on. As you weep, remember this. Go your way, eat the fat, and drink sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready for this day. For this day is holy to our Lord, and do not be grieved, for the Lord, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. He says, as you begin to focus on your hearts, as you begin to focus on yourself, what you should do and remember is that you have a hope, you have a joy, you have an ability to focus and pull from an energy that no one else has because they do not believe in God. This is my current condition. About three weeks ago, and I have said this a few times before, I believe it was the providence of God that my brother passed away in the middle of our teaching series. It's wild to consider that. That's super wild to consider that. Our first lesson was on lament. The second one, right, the second message we talked about was about uh, Elijah, talking about a biblical view of emotions and how Elijah has highs and lows of emotions. He's in one end jesting with the, the prophets of Baal. This is a man who, who prayed and asked God and, and the, the, the sky was shut up for three years. No rain. He prays again. The skies are open. He prays and the, and the, and the skies are open and fire falls down from heaven. Like this is insane, right? The same guy is running for fear for his life and then he's over there, landing, lying by a tree, gets kicked in the ribs by an angel. It's like, dude, wake up. And he's like, oh, I don't want to die. Like, this is where he is. And so maybe an hour or so before, my brother had already taken his life. And here we're, here we're in the context of that message. And so we have a, re, a, a celebration of life service. And at the celebration of life service, we picked songs. Songs that would preach to ourselves and speak to us the good nature of who God was. Why? Because in the middle of our pain, we needed to be reminded who God was. See, there's nothing else that can satisfy you. I feel broken inside really, real honestly, open sadness, open like brokenness, even moments of anger. Like I was like, dude, that was rude of you to just do that to us. Right? That's where I am. And yet, in the middle of that service, I'm still able to read these words and to sing these songs of truth about who God is and be like, oh my gosh, Lord, thank you for who you are. I'm feeling both joy and pain at the same time. And I'm being comforted. It's such a weird thing. But this is the human condition as a Christian. Because all our pain, the difference between us and unbelievers is that our pain is tempered by the hope of God and by the grace of God. So one... He tells them, refocus your hearts by rejoicing in the Lord. Two, put off your anger. Now I would say put off your anger, put off your anxiety, put off your depression. Now I'm not just saying flippantly put it off. And I have to define this for you guys because putting off your anger, putting off your depression, putting off those emotions or the anxiety isn't something flippant. No. In fact, let me just list this for you right now. Putting off your anger doesn't mean burying your emotions. Meaning let's ignore what this feels like. Let's not address what this ha is happening. No, it doesn't mean that at all. It also doesn't mean justifying the other person's argument, right? Where you're like, uh, I'm just going to let it go because I'm right and you're wrong. No, that's not what we're doing right here, right? It doesn't mean that at all. Or it doesn't mean that you're the bigger person by just saying, I'm just going to let it go. No, no, no. You might say, I'm just going to let it go and still have that hatred and that hurt in your heart and harbor that for a long time. No, what he's saying to us as a putting off of anger, of selling the issue is this. Putting off our anger is actually humbling ourselves before God and trusting that he's a good judge. 
Because you ultimately want to not turn the other cheek. Turning the other cheek is, a, is a, a weird thing to do. When someone wrongs you, your first response is, go slash your tires. Like you want to do something to them. You want to get back at them. But instead he says, no, no, no. First of all, do this. One, refocus your heart by rejoicing in God. Two, put off your anger. Put off your anger. Trust God as a good judge. In 1 John 4.20, says this to us as believers, and this is about us in this room. If you are here, I believe that many of you have made a profession of Christ as your Lord and Savior. And so 1 John is written to you. It says this, if someone says, I love God, but hates a fellow believer, that person is a liar. For we don't love people, we, if we don't love people we can see, how can we love God whom we cannot see? And he has given us this command, those who love God must also love their fellow believers. Now, some of you guys are in this room, and you can't, you've not talked to each other for months, not because you've not seen each other, or this room is too big, or because, like, Westlake is a huge space. No, because you guys are angry and are at each other's necks. You have bitterness with each other. And yet you're here saying, God, I love you. God, I'm for you. God, you are my champion. I trust you with my emotion. Guys, this is what he's saying. He goes, don't lie to yourself. Don't lie to yourself. Be real with yourself. Put aside these moments. See, and you want to be free. You want to have self. This is your self-care. By trusting God as a good judge and saying, I'm going to get rid of all these things and really pursue reconciliation with my, with my brother or sister. You are saying, God, I trust you as a good judge and I'm being humble before you. Verses 5 and 6, he speaks to these ladies and says this. Let your reasonableness, reasonableness let your, your, your posture... The way you stand, the way you live, let the way you, you speak be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Now, that could be read many ways. Here's one way. It could be read in a way that you would say that we're living in a way that God is amongst us. Like, the way you respond to your problems emotionally in those moments of hurt or pain speaks more volumes about your relationship with God than it does when things are going well. Okay? So it could be read this one way. One, remember that God is around you. And as people look at you, they'll be like, there's that Christian. He says he trusts God, but look at her tripping out. I thought God would take care of all, of all your needs. And you're like, oh, my gosh, this is going to happen. No, dude. And I'm not saying that these things are not wrong. It's not, not wrong to feel these emotions. But what do you do with them? How do you respond to them? The second one is to say the Lord is at hand, meaning the day of the Lord is coming. Meaning whether you believe that this verse says that God is with you, you should respond like God is with you. Or if you're saying that God is coming, that God who is coming, the soon coming king, who when he comes back is coming back riding on a white horse, fire in his eyes, his name tattooed on his thigh, king of kings and lord of lords, like white robe, the tip of his robe dipped in blood. This is like biker Jesus on steroids. Like this is scary stuff. He's coming in judgment. But he's also our savior. Like do I believe that that God, that that Jesus is going to come and secure and save me and be a good judge? Either way, you have to make a decision to humble your heart or not before the God who saves. The third thing, or in the middle of this verse, he goes, Do not be anxious for anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And as you humble yourself, guess what? As you trust God, even, even changes the way you pray. See, before you might be praying, God, please do this for me. God, I ask you to do this for me. God, I know you can do so. Please make this happen. No, he goes, pray with thanksgiving. Meaning you're praying, God, thank you. 
Thank you for the joy you're going to give me tomorrow. God, thank you. Right, right now, I feel crappy, Lord. But tomorrow, I know your joy comes in the morning. Your word says the joy will be my strength. Lord, today, today I feel heartbroken. He broke my heart, but God, I know you are a burden bearer. You carry all my fears, all the weights of my heart. He says, come to me, all those who are heavy laden and weighed down, and I will give you rest. It changes the way you pray. You pray with confidence. So the point three would be this. You bring your petition to God. One of the ways you care for yourself is not focusing on yourself as a solution. Why do you get anxious again? Because you try to control, control the situation. And when you cannot control the situation, what happens? You freak out. How many of you guys freak out when something doesn't happen and you can't make it work? Like, we all freak out. You get anxious. And that's again, is a natural response. But how do you respond to our emotions? We respond by having thanksgiving and asking God, asking God to quiet our hearts to help us walk in him and walk in trust in him. Verse 7 says, once you've done this, you've trusted God. He says, and the peace of God which passes all understanding, meaning it does not make sense. Does it make sense for you to have this peace? Does it make sense for you to be back at work? Does it make sense for you to have joy? Does it make sense for you to be moving forward with your head high in the middle of all these things? He goes, the, the peace that passes all understanding will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. As you put your trust in this Jesus, this risen Savior, just coming out of Easter, we celebrate re the resurrection. And because God is a resurrection, we can trust that God is able to resurrect all things, all things, and bring them all things under himself. Because he's the king of kings and lord of lords. I think of people like Hannah. And Hannah was a lady in the Bible in 1 Samuel. And she was one of a few wives, right? And she was a favorite wife. And yet she could not give any children to her husband. So can you imagine being a wife? You're the favorite wife. And, and, and of all these women, you cannot give your, your husband like a baby. Some of you guys are like, dude, I don't know what that is. I don't know what you're talking about. One day, maybe, right? You, you, you'll be able to have that gift. But check it out. She's broken inside. And she begins to pray and to bring her petition to God. And her form of, of asking God, of reaching out to God, may look a little weird. In fact, she, she, she cries out so much that she, people thought that she was drunk. Like, you can't make this stuff up. This isn't your Bible. If you're not reading the Bible, you're truly missing out. Like, really, you're missing out. 1 Samuel 1, 12-13 says this. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart. Only her lips moved and her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli took her to be a drunken woman. She's overwhelmed by the pain and by the sorrow and depression. That as she speaks out, she's moved beyond words and her soul and her heart are crying out to God. I don't ever been in that moment where like your heart's so broken that you have no words to say. And you're just like, just broken inside. This is where she was. And in the middle of her petition to God, it looked weird. People thought that she was drunk. Now, what I want to let, want to let you know is this. For some of us, our, our process in this self-care like, like walkthrough, maybe in, in your worship with God or your time with God is different from others. For some people, it's going to be a thin space that uh, Britt has so famously talked about. right? For some of you, it's going to be in your car. For some of you, the way you study your Bible, the way you spend time with God and, and grieve is different from others. But here's the point. Don't get caught up with the form and miss the concept. 
It doesn't matter how you do it, right? This sounds like the rock, whatever. Like, it doesn't matter how you cry out to God, what form you take, whether it's in a room or on your face or in a chair or raised hands or whatever. There's no way holier than another. Just ask God. Like, ask God. Reach out to him. Cry out to him. Even though it may look awkward to others. Don't get caught up with the form and miss the concepts. In fact, in Matthew 5, 4, Jesus so famously says in the, in the, in the, uh, on, the, on, on the mountain, he says, bless him on the mount. He goes, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. He says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. If you make an open, honest decision to come to God with the weight of your emotion, the weight of your sin, the weight of the things you're struggling with, the weight of your, just, just, just stuff that's going wrong, he has promised to be a comforter to those who trust in him. So, here we are, verse 8 and 9. He says, finally, Paul, to these ladies, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Now, let's put a test. In this world, are there things that are truly pure? What is truly lovely? What is truly honorable? What's of good report? Truly. In the beginning of the pandemic, there was a show uh, started by the guy from uh, The Office. I forget his name. He married Pam. That dude. Oh, John. Oh, man. That was quick. All right. For the people who are watching online, it was John. Sterwinski? Uh, that guy. Uh, and what happens is this, is that he, he made a show where he would just talk about good things happening every day. Right? And people would watch that and watch that and watch that and watch that. And then sometimes there's nothing to report on. And you're like, what the, what's going on, right? He ends up selling the show to like HBO or one of those big companies or Netflix. Netflix buys everything now, but now they're raising their prices or so whatever. I'm not complaining. Uh, but what happens is this, right? Is that sometimes you reach a spot where all those things are done. And then you realize that those moments maybe were not truly pure, because there are people who have really faked moments so they could have even testimonies. There are people who have faked moments just so they could be on TV. Like they're fake giving people money on the street so you could be a story in the news. Like, please, don't do, don't do this. Don't be those people, right? What he's saying to us is this. There is nothing truly pure on this earth. There's nothing truly gentle. Uh, some of you guys have watched uh, this show on Netflix. I, I just escapes my, my tongue as far as the name, the, its name, but I think it's called The Good Place. And if you watch The Good Place, what happens is, and the idea is that people will go to heaven because they've done X number of good things. Now, we know that's not how we end up in heaven, so don't roast me, don't make memes and all that stuff. That's not how we roll here, right? We believe in the salvation of Jesus, salvation of the sinner through Jesus, believing in his name. That's how it happens, right? That's all it is. But in this show, that's what happens. And yet, let's say, oh, I bought, I bought this, this shirt from, oh, I want to say a brand. I'll make up one right now. Kajumba Jackets. It's the best. The cotton's from Uganda. Oh, my gosh. It's the best. And you buy it because it's naturally grown. Oh, my gosh. It costs like $300. And it's worth it. Why? Because it's, it's going to support the people who are back in Uganda. But in reality, guess what? Those people are paid what? Pennies on the dollar. But you over here in America are like, dude, I'm spending this money. I'm doing this thing. And guess what? At the end of the day, it wasn't truly pure. What this points to us, at least even in the show and in a joking manner, is this. 
that the only pure thing, only good thing, only holy thing in this world truly is Jesus. And that's why he asks us to rejoice in him, to focus on him. And so we, we profess this goodness. We profess this goodness. We confess the love of God in the presence of other people. One with God, like we said before, like Hannah does with God, like Paul is asking these ladies to do with God, but also in community. Which is why we have small groups. This is why we gather here today. I believe that there are moments when you hear me singing off key. They're like, oh my gosh, Aaron is singing off key. What the heck, man? But you're like, but, but dude, like, but he's worshiping God. And you're like, oh, but this is real though. He believes these words. And you're like, all right, let's, 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 let's sing together, right? Like there's moments that we get to be encouraged by the voices and the general uh, uh, joining of believers one together in this room. And so we profess the goodness of God one in a space between us and God, but also in the presence of community. We need people. We are communal people. We are relational people. And so God has made us that way to be able to have peace amongst, uh, uh, amongst our, our brothers and sisters and also in our hearts. And as we talk about people, we have to have this point, point five. Watch your company. Watch your company, okay? There's some people who are not going to be healthy for you. Now, let me read this verse for you from Proverbs 22, uh, 24 through 25. I began to read Proverbs because purely I wanted to have wisdom and to be smarter than all my friends. The Bible says if you read Proverbs, you will have wisdom. That was my story. That's how I began reading the Bible. That's it. And the Bible, in the book of Proverbs specifically, is like Jesus is, uh, or, or God, God's Twitter feed. He literally just takes hot takes. Boom, 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 boom. Like, go read it. I'm telling you, if you're not reading the Bible, you're missing out a lot, right? So Jesus has uh, these hot takes. God has these hot takes in Proverbs. And one of them is this. Proverbs 22, 24 through 25 says, Don't befriend angry people or associate with hot-tempered people, or you will learn to be like them and endanger your soul. It's a hot take. It's pretty hot. That's what he's saying. No, he's, don't be hanging out. Don't be jumping in, jumping fences with people. Like, just don't do it, right? Then he says this in 1 Corinthians 15, 33. He goes, don't be fooled by these who say such things. For bad company corrupts good character. Think carefully about what is right and stop sinning. For to your shame, I say some of you don't know God at all. And this is rightfully placed shame. See, there is wrongfully placed shame, which makes you feel bad and makes you not do, do or change anything. Like, people just say, you're something, you know. They shame you. And on the other end, this is well-placed shame. Where the weight of this emotion that God has given you helps you like really like respond with joy and respond in repentance and trust God with how you are. And he's saying the people you hang out with, depending on who they are and what they're doing, can affect your character. It's not that because you hang out with people who smoke weed, you're going to smoke weed. What happens is, or smoke any kind of drug, cocaine, whatever it is, what happens is this. You slowly begin to have a conscious change where things you normally we're easy about, we're cool about, or, or maybe you're like hard-hearted about, you begin to have changes. And there's subtle changes where maybe you never used to cuss before. Oh, then all of a sudden, oh, there's an F-bomb. Oh, there's another one. What do you call me? Who's mama? Like the things just begin to move, right? Things begin to progress. They begin to change, right? Because not because that all of a sudden, oh, because you hung out with them. No, no, because there's a progression. It's a heart change. And what I'm saying to you is this. For some of you, you are so deep. In those relationships, and it's going to be hard for you. But you need to make some distance with those people. Take some time to separate yourself. Get into a community where you can respond to God and to respond with, with people so you can grow. And then go back. I'm not saying leave those people alone because they need Jesus as much as you do. 
They also need the Savior. They need God as well. And so he says this. For to your shame, I see some of you don't know God at all. He says, you're acting as if God is not even with you, as if God is not real or amongst you. Six, he asks us, these ladies, specifically even us in this room, to seek reconciliation. Seek reconciliation. Seek peace with one another. This is different from forgiveness, right? In forgiveness, it's like, hey, I forgive you. Done deal. Okay, you stood me up, whatever, done deal. Reconciliation is, hey, you stood me up. I forgive you. And you're like, okay, I'm sorry, I did something wrong. Both of you come back together and you do it together. And what happens is in that moment, there's a beauty of a relationship born again because now there's freedom and openness. It's not awkward anymore. Have you guys ever been in contention with people and you have broken relationship because of something that someone did? And one person forgives and the other does not feel free because they have not reconciled. Seek reconciliation. The Bible says that we are to be peacemakers, not peacekeepers. The Bible says that. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will inherit the kingdom of heaven. A peacemaker is like a militant force. You go in and make the peace, meaning it's going to be hard. And this is all for you to be healed as well. It's going to be hard for you. But go in, make the peace, make those moments, ask for forgiveness. If you've hurt people, if you've sinned against someone, or if you've been sinned against, say, hey, I forgive you. Make that bold choice to step out and ask the Lord to help you to do so. Now, in the verses 10 through 13 is Paul's testimony of this exact moment. These ladies we see have been arguing and crying out with one another at each other's throats, not for something bad, but because they simply wanted to raise money to send to Paul. It wasn't a bad thing. It was something good. But they were stressing out, anxious about it, arguing about it, causing, causing so much disunity in the body that Paul, who is in prison, finds out and writes a letter to them. That's wild. And he tells them, guys, don't worry about this. Even me, in the middle of my trial, in the middle of my pain, I have learned to have and have not. And then we have that verse in verse 13, that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. See, your emotions are a gospel testament. Because right now we can look at Paul, we can look at him, the weight of his emotions. We can look at these ladies and say, guess what? That's how you are to do or how you're not to do it. These books, these books of the Bible, these truths have happened for our benefit. The Holy Spirit has written and carried these words through the gospel through time. Here we are in the year 2022, still reading this book, reading these words, because they have power. They're not empty words. They are our life. And if we are to truly self-care, to view ourselves and to take care of ourselves so we can be uh, conduits of grace for other people, we must pay attention to these words. Philippians 27.30, for those of you who are in this room and maybe realize that you have a broken relationship with someone and it's broken, like it's awkward. Y'all don't talk no more, but you genuinely still have love for the other person. Does that happen normally, right? Right? The Bible is amazing. It just says, the Bible says, literally, that, that there's everything pertaining to life and godliness in this book. Life, normal day-to-day life and godliness. Who should you pay taxes to? The government. It's in the Bible. Can you not? Like, I'm telling you guys, really, take some time, just roll through Proverbs. Like, it's going gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna, to like, do wonders for your life. Oh, here we go. Philippians 1, 27 through 30 says this. You guys ready? Dun, 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 dun. Okay, here we go. 2 Corinthians 2, 5 through 11. 2 Corinthians 2, 5 through 11. He goes, 
I am not overstating it when I say that the man who caused all the trouble hurt all of you more than he hurt me. Okay, this is what he's recognizing. You were hurt more than I was hurt. It's, it's real stuff. Most of you opposed him, and that was punishment enough. Now, however, it is time to forgive and comfort him. Otherwise, he may be overcome by discouragement. He goes, yes, you were hurt. Yes, life sucks. It's real. And like I've said this many times before, if you're summarizing the book of Psalms, it's like life sucks, but God is good. Like, so go read the book of Psalms. Don't take my spark notes. Go read it. He says this. Most of you oppose that man, and punishment was, that punishment was enough. However, it's time to forget, for you to forgive and comfort him. Otherwise, he may become overcome by discouragement. He goes, care for the other person in the middle of your own pain. If you don't live and act on this life of forgiveness, that person might be discouraged. So I urge you now to reaffirm him of your love. Reaffirm your love for him. Like I said, we've been in situations, many of us, where you have broken relationship with people and you still care for them, but then you've not made an effort to connect and to bring peace and to reconcile. He goes, do so. Reaffirm your love for him. I wrote to you as I did to test you to see if you would fully comply with my instructions. When you forgive this man, I forgive him too. And when I forgive whatever needs to be forgiven, I do so in Christ's authority for your benefit so that Satan will not outsmart us. For we are familiar with this evil scheme. See, if you live in a life of unforgiveness, this is about your self-care, right? I've heard self, uh, unforgiveness, unforgiveness talked about in a way that it's like you looking at someone else and hating them and drinking poison and hoping the other person dies. This is what happens with unforgiveness. I have a practical story like that in my life where my own mother, my mother, right? Check it out. Had a mental breakdown because of that unforgiveness. Guys, people get cancer because they are unwilling to let go and trust God. He's saying here in the scripture, don't let Satan outsmart you. Don't try to carry this weight on your own. You are not capable. You're not built to do so. You are built to be carried by the grace of God. And I said again, Paul's testimony is there in Philippians 4, 10 uh, through 13. And what we know about this, again, is that our emotions are a gospel testament of who God is in our life. As the worship team comes up, I want to read this verse to you guys. In Philippians 1, 27 through 30, he says this to us at the bottom of 30. He tells them, you have seen my struggle in the past and you know that I am still in the midst of it. Okay, so Paul is basically saying this. My people, the struggle is real. That's what he's saying. He goes, I'm still in the middle of the struggle. I'm still here. It's real. It's hard. But he's trusting God. He's taking these things, these things that we have as well, our anger, our despair, our fear, right? How many of you have been angry before? You've had depression, been dis- desperate, even just sad before. I have as well to have fear. I've been afraid many times. These are all fight or flight mo- moments. He says, take those moments, take those real emotions and respond to them. Not, don't stop feeling them. Respond to them by having faith, by having hope. By having love in a God who saves. He says respond by having a rejoicing humility. See, humble rejoicing is an act of faith in God's unfailing love. Because you can't do it on your own. But you need a savior. You need someone who has the ability to carry those things and help you walk them through. 
The next steps for us are these. They're simple. One, we focus our hearts by rejoicing in the Lord. Take those moments of pain and say, God, thank you. Pray with thanksgiving. Pray with confidence that God is able to do so. Two, put off your anger, your anxiety, your depression. That doesn't mean that you're ignoring these things at all. No. Realize the weight of them and respond with faith, with hope. And with love, with humble rejoicing in a God who's able to save in three, bring your petition to God. Come to God because he is, again, our Savior, our burden bearer. I want to invite you guys to the front as I begin to read the scripture over you. Because I believe that there's power in the word of God. There's power in God's word. The Bible says his word does not come back void. And so gather up, come close uh, to the stage so we can just, just be in this moment together. This verse is from John 16, 33. John 16.33. In John 16.33, Jesus speaks to his disciples. He says this. I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. All these things are going to happen to me. All these things are going to happen to Jesus. And all the glories that are, that are to follow with him. He says, I tell you all these things so you may have peace in me. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows. Okay, this is real. Many trials and sorrows. It doesn't end here. On this side of glory, 20, 30, 85 years of age, you will still have heartbreak. You still have emotions. You will still have all these things going on. But I'm glad that verse doesn't end there. It says this. But take heart because I have overcome the world. The comfort that Jesus gives us is that in the middle of all our problems, not only has Jesus walked through these things, not only can he say, I know how you feel, but also he can say, I beat that. I overcame that. Like that, that thing, I took over it. I beat that. And that's powerful. And that's who our God is. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you for this evening. Thank you for the truth and the fact that you love us. You are for us. That you see us in the, in the, in the weight of our emotions and our struggles. And you empower us, Lord God, as we trust in you to be a people who forgive, who trust you, who let go who don't seek our own vengeance but trust you to be a good judge, who can recognize the depth of our depression, our anxiety, and yet focus on the hope that you give because you are our salvation. I ask that you strengthen my brothers and sisters in the weeks and the months and the years to come because this sermon is not just going to be a week sermon or a month sermon, Lord. It's something for them to hear and to hold on to forever. Let them always remember that, God, you are their salvation and you will cover them and care for them by your grace. And all God's people say, amen. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this, don't forget to subscribe and also check out past episodes. For more content from Calvary HSM or to connect with us, visit us on Instagram at calvaryhsm805. Go live and love like Jesus.